Let's take our Bibles together. together. I invite you to turn to Psalm 67. Uh, as you do that, that's page 481 in the church Bible if you choose to use that. Uh, before we get going, I'm going to lead us in prayer. Would you bow with me as we turn to the Lord? Your word, O oh God, is living and active, as your scripture says. And because of that, it accomplishes everything that you purpose to do. And we know, Father, that one of the purposes in your word being proclaimed is to conform us to the very image of Jesus, your Son, our Savior. So our prayer this morning, Father, is that you would speak. Speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. And we pray, teach us what you want us to know. Give us, Father, what you want us to receive. And we pray, make us what you want us to be. All for the glory of Jesus Christ. We pray in his name. Amen. New Year's. I'm, I'm curious. I'm just curious. Uh, anybody here make a resolution? Anybody make a resolution? Wow. None? Is there at least one? Oh, one. One resolution. I guess it's a kind of a dying thing. Well, I, I used to do this. Um, maybe you've made a, a physical like resolution about you know, getting more healthy, less TV, more running, uh, eat more you know, kale and less cake, if you know what kale is. <laughs> maybe you had a career resolution, you know, want to get that promotion, or maybe an educational resolution, you know, eat that, eat that. Start that degree or finish the degree. Maybe a spiritual resolution. Those are good. And I've encouraged as many as possible to read through the Bible. That's great to have a, a spiritual resolution. Now, I'm really not against resolutions, um, but I want to offer up something far more powerful, far more powerful than the commitments that we might make. I want to offer up a way to pray. This is really my, my reason for choosing this text this morning is, is based on some pastoral conversations that I've had over the last few months. It occurred to me that this would really be a great way to begin a new year. Next week, we'll, we'll get back into our study through Genesis. But I want to offer up this morning Psalm 67 as, as a template for how we can boldly pray. Not only this year, but always. So, let's take a look at Psalm 67. As I said, 481 in the Church Bible, if you choose to follow along in that one or your own. Hear the word of the Lord. Psalm 67. May God... Be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy for you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its increase. O God, our God shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. This is the word of God. Well, from this psalm, 
as we think about, a, as I've titled this message, a New Year's prayer, a prayer for the new year. I have three simple applications, and I'll give them to you up front. They are these. Pray, first of all, pray for God's blessing. Pray for God's blessing. Second, pray for God's will. Third, acknowledge God's goodness. Pray for God's blessing, pray for God's will, and acknowledge God's goodness. All of these things as ways in which we ought to pray. First of all, pray for God's blessing. A few weeks ago, I, uh, I needed something from the DMV. I needed my car tag renewed. Now, when I arrived, I had to get in a queue, and I don't know if you've been to the new office here in Sarpy. I entered my name on this tablet. Eventually, it showed up, and I was supposed to find my way to a particular stall. And when I got there, they said, you don't have the right papers. You need to leave and go. And I got to the back of the line, went through the queue again, finally filled it out. Now, simply asking for what I needed there wouldn't have accomplished anything. I had to write a check, a check far bigger than I thought was worth for what they were giving me, a right to travel on the roads in Sarpy County. But be that as it may, I had to write them a check to get that tag. It was a transaction, right? A transaction. Now, contrast that with a, a parent-child relationship. We know this. An infant born to a, a loving family has her needs met long before she can even uh, express that, right? Everything that she needs, food, clothing, shelter, place to sleep, and a warm embrace of mother and father, that touch. All of that is lovingly provided. Now, as she grows, of course, she experiences different needs. She tells you that she's cold, she's hungry or tired or sad. And what do her parents do? They give. They give. And as she matures and, and she learns, her desires expand, of course, right? And, and the things that would interest her or delight her in some way, she also asks because she knows her parents want for her good. She does not need to get in a queue. She does not need to have to write a check. She does not have to do anything in exchange. It's not a transaction. It's a relationship. That's obvious, of course. Now, this psalm prayer or prayer psalm, it teaches us something about, about how we are to think about God. And I want, to, I want you to notice how the, the psalmist boldly makes the request, expecting God to give without requiring anything from him. There's nothing transactional about it. Look again at verse 1. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us. Selah. That's an unknown uh, expression for maybe a pause or maybe some sort of musical interlude. We don't know. But this prayer is on behalf of us. That is to say, it's the people of God. And this is not a presumption. May God be gracious to us and bless us. It's not a presumption. Rather, the prayer is anchored in the truth that God has already covenanted with his people. The Lord had spoken to them in their history, and we can see this in Deuteronomy. The Lord your God, Deuteronomy 7, the Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession. Treasured possession. Out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth, his treasured possession from among all the peoples on the earth. So it is in view of that covenant relationship. So what the psalmist is asking God. He is asking God to be gracious. 
And that's simply to be shown favor, to be shown consideration and mercy. He asks the Lord to bless us. Bless us. Now, when that word bless is used from man towards God, it means to kneel. It means to adore or praise. Certainly, he's not asking to be worshipped or praised in any way. See, when that word is then used from God to man, it means to receive from God's goodness some benefit. The presumption of his graciousness. Bless us. We want to receive goodness from your hand. And he asks that his face, for your face to shine. And what does it mean for, for the face of God to shine upon someone? Think of the face of God as his presence. And to shine is, is to light up. When God's face lights up, it's an expression of his pleasure, his smile. And just think about a parent and a child, a, a mother and a baby, and, and seeing that, that little one and the face lights up. And whatever that joy is that mother has with child, think of that infinitely multiplied. This is what the psalmist is asking for. To see your smile, our God, to see your smile upon us. Now the prayer isn't overly specific, is it? Simply asks God for general favor. Do good things for us because we're your people. Now I wonder, as you read it or hear it, is there any part of it that, that seems self-serving to you? That's possible. Now, if someone sees God as someone to be appeased, right, then what's missing from that is some kind of reciprocal promise or commitment, right, from the psalmist. And, and I think, and I don't think many of us think that way in this room, but there are a lot of people who, who acknowledge that there is a God, and they misunderstand the very fatherhood of God. They, they think of God as someone to whom you make deals, right? We make deals with God. God, if you give me that promotion and raise, I'll, I'll give more money to the church. Or in a tragic situation, God, if you heal my child, I will serve you the rest of my life. God, if you get me out of this mess, I'll, and you can fill in the blank. That's not uncommon. The religious leaders in Jesus' day, well, they thought they could find favor with God by their fastidious law-keeping. They had a transactional view of God. So much so, and if we read through the New Testament, we see the conflict between Jesus and the religious leaders, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the, the priests. So much so that they, they made up extra laws just to show God how serious they were about keeping the law, right? No, Jesus taught his disciples about the gracious fatherhood of God. He said this in Matthew 7, 7 to 11, a little lengthy section. Listen to these words and just take them to heart. Jesus said, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. And the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. 
Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? And Jesus said, we're simply to ask. Ask, because God wants to give good gifts to his children. Now, it's worthwhile asking, is it possible to get this kind of prayer wrong? Yes, it is. Uh, in his letter, James there rebukes his readers for their coveting, their quarreling and their murderous hearts. And what he does in that letter is he homes in on the way that they have dishonored the Lord with their prayers. And he says to them, you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. And that, that word passions, that's sensual lusts, illicit desires. So God will not give anything to his people that they would use ultimately to dishonor the Lord. But praying boldly for the things that he has promised, that delights God. Second, pray for God's will. Pray for God's will. Uh, you've likely heard that expression. It's the gift that keeps on giving. In fact, when there's advertising around Christmas time, they'll, they'll, they'll tout the importance or the greatness of this particular thing, and it's the gift that keeps on giving. It's not the Christmas fruitcake that keeps passing around the world. It's, a, it's something really, really good, and it, it, it spills over, right? The benefit it, and the joy of it just keeps extending outward. When God is gracious and blesses, when he makes his face to shine upon his people, when he smiles upon his people, that blessing spills beyond the immediate object of his grace. And that's the very nature of God's grace and blessing. And that's what the psalmist understands, I take it, in this prayer. Look at verses, this is verses 2 and 2 through 4. God be gracious that, so the word that, for the purpose of. See, the psalmist knows that God's gift keeps on giving. Now notice what he does not pray for. He doesn't pray for God's blessing so that he can be comfortable or have no worries or that he could be pain-free or that as God's people that they would have no conflict with their enemies. No, what he's doing, he's praying for God's blessing that God's will might be accomplished. And what is that will? Verse 2, that your way may be known on earth. That your way may be known on earth. Your saving power to all nations. Now, the psalmist isn't praying something new here. He knows the very purpose of being set apart as the people of God, the very reason they were God's treasured possession was to be a light to the nations. Now, I'll take you back to the promise that the Lord made to Abraham 
Genesis 12. He said to Abraham, and then this would apply to Abraham and ultimately his offspring, right? He said, I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So he's, he's focusing that promise to Abraham, his family, his offspring, yet the blessing will overflow to all the families of the earth. So if I could paraphrase the word here, God said, I'll bless you to bless others. My gifts to you keep on giving. Now, God always had a plan to rescue all of the families of the earth from the consequences of their own sin. And we know what those are experientially, don't we? We are the all the nations. We know what the consequences are. We feel it every day. The consequence being, first and foremost, the fact that our bodies are breaking down and eventually we will die. And we buried some loved ones last year. And somebody will know someone among us who will die in the coming year. It happens. That's the consequence of our sin. But not only the, the, the sentence of physical death upon us, but the very reality of that separation from God because of our sin. We need a remedy for that. And the blessing comes to all nations for the sake of remedying that problem of our separation from God. God had always had a plan to rescue all of the families. And so he chose the descendants of Abraham to be a light to them through the offspring of Abraham. That single light would be revealed in due time. That light, who is Christ, would suffer for his own and be that light. This is what the Lord declared through the prophet Isaiah. See this in Isaiah 42, 6 and 7. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations, to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison, those who sit in darkness. God is gracious and blesses and makes his face to shine so that the nations will be freed from the blindness and bondage to sin. That's his saving power, right? God, be gracious to us and bless us to show your saving power. That's his saving power, ultimately revealed in Christ, the offspring of Abraham. Look at verse 4. In this psalm prayer, he declares, For you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations on the earth. And part of the way of God that this blessing reveals to all the nations is God's equity. That really means that he, he shows no favoritism. No favoritism. He judges righteously he judges in an even-handed way he blessed the israelites his graciousness to them was meant to spill over to all of the nations his gift to them is is 
meant to guide others to himself, right? His gift to the Israelites is that that blessing to them would ultimately guide others to the Lord himself. His graciousness just keeps on giving and giving and giving. The prayer for blessing is a prayer based on God's covenant. It's based on his unbreakable promise to save people and ultimately draw them to himself. That's God's will. God's will is to save people. So as we think of ways to apply this, when you pray for God's blessing, think about how God's purposes in you and beyond you will be accomplished. Now, moments ago, we recited the Lord's Prayer. I, I put that up specifically. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's what Jesus told us to pray. Your will be done. Everywhere around us, in my own life, everywhere, just as it is always done in heaven. And so what is God's will? Well, we know God's will is to love God, heart, soul, mind, strength. God's will is to love your neighbor as yourself. That's Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven. 37. What's God's will? Your sanctification, 1 Thessalonians 4, 3. Your being made holy, that's God's will. Your leaving your sin behind, your fleeing sexual immorality, your holding your tongue, your having pure thoughts instead of ugly thoughts, that's God's will. That we would demonstrate love, joy, peace, that we'd have patience, that we'd show kindness, that we would be gentle, that we would be good, that we would demonstrate faith, that we would have meekness and self-control. Galatians 5, 22, 23. Those are God's will. So brothers and sisters, pray boldly. Pray boldly. God, bless me that I may love you as I ought. Bless me. Be gracious to me. Shine your face on me that I may serve others as I ought. Bless me. Be gracious to me that I may hate my sin that as I ought. Bless me that I may reflect the character of Christ. Bless me. Bless me so that I may do your will. Pray that boldly. That's God's will. Pray it without hesitation. And listen, when the Father hears those prayers, and the Lord Jesus, as we're told in Scripture, who's seated at his right hand, hears those prayers, Jesus is saying, Amen. He is. And pray that God would bless you to be an effective witness, both in word and deed. As the Apostle Peter wrote this in his letter, In your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason, for the hope that is in you. Yet, do this with gentleness. And respect. That's the exhortation, right? So pray. God, bless me that I would know what to say to anyone who might ask me about my hope in you. God, bless me. Bless me as I read and study your word. Plant it in my mind and heart so that I can share it. God, bless me for that. Now, of course, our, our words need to be backed up by consistent 
behavior, right? Behavior consistent with the words that we're, we're saying. Jesus said this, you are the light of the world. Now, when he says you are the light of the world, understand that he's speaking to his disciples, but then by extension, all of his followers. You, my people, are shining a light in the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So, pray. God, be gracious to me and bless me so that the light of Christ in me shows in my deeds in order to bring you glory. Cause me to do things that bring you glory. Bless me for that purpose, God. And let me tell you, when the Father hears that prayer and Jesus, seated at his right hand, hears that, he says, Amen. Pray that God would be gracious and bless us. Now understand, this isn't just a personal prayer. As a church, let's pray for God to be gracious to us and bless us as a collective, that his ways may be known to our community, his saving power to our city. So pray that God would be gracious to us and bless us so that people who are far from God would be brought near through the proclamation of the gospel. Pray that God would be gracious to us so that those who have identified with Christ as part of this church family would delight to assemble with the church family, to, to have the character of Christ formed in each of us and our brothers and sisters, so that, so that by that same strength and power, they would serve for the sake of making Christ known. So pray, pray for people to trust Christ and be baptized. God bless us that people would trust Christ and be baptized. Pray, pray for ways to reach unbelievers. Pray for the gospel to be proclaimed boldly. Pray for people to join the church and be discipled to maturity. Pray for people to leave their sin behind and become more like Christ in character. Pray boldly for marriages to be healed, for addictions to be conquered, for children to remain in the faith, for God to raise up leaders among us. Pray for people to serve by stewarding their time, abilities, and resources. Pray boldly, God bless us, that Jesus' disciples would see all of life as an opportunity for enjoying and displaying the goodness of God in Christ. Pray for those things. And when God hears that prayer for his grace and blessing, when Jesus, who is seated at the right hand of the Father, hears it, he says, Amen. Finally, from this psalm, acknowledge God's goodness. Make that a feature of your prayers. Acknowledge God's goodness. Uh, this, this happens at, at weddings, uh, graduation ceremonies, other milestone events, right? You've, you've been there. Grown children will, will pause, and they'll acknowledge the ways that their parents have provided and sacrificed for them. You're something like this. Mom, Dad, I wouldn't be here without you, <laughs> right? That's not just biology. That's, that's nurture, right? 
Now, not to beat up on kids, and I was, I was one once, but they, we, we often forget how much our parents have invested in our lives. And so often we wait until big events to say so. Let me tell you, and it's just, a, this is any kid in the room, <laughs> think about this. I don't know a parent whose heart would not be deeply warmed and moved by the appreciation of their children. Now, how much more? How much more? God doesn't need our praise. God doesn't need our affirmation. God doesn't need anything from us. But for our own sake, how much more should our prayers regularly be full of appreciation for God's grace and blessing? How much more? See, in our psalm here, after asking for blessing that God's purposes may be accomplished, the psalmist's heart explodes, right? It explodes with, with gratitude and praise. And he's not, he's not content to simply express it himself. No, he, he wants all the inhabitants of the earth to join him. Verse 5, you can feel this, this, uh, this crescendo of joy kind of welling up within him. Verse 5, let, all, let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. This, this praise needs to resound across the entire globe. Everybody needs to join in. This is how appropriate. See, in, in view of God's amazing goodness, it is not fitting for the earth to keep silent. And what he does is he just simply reflects on a, on a simple way that God is blessed. And that blessing, he acknowledges, falls on every creature on the earth. Verse 6, the earth has yielded its increase. Just a simple reality. The earth has yielded its increase. Now, it, it could be said that this psalm, the occasion of it was uh, gratitude for a harvest blessing, the God's provision. This is the thing that God promised in the beginning, told the man and the woman who occupied the garden, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it. And that creation ordinance has been, has been played out through the centuries. But man does his part in simply tending what the Lord causes to produce. And no right-thinking child of God thinks that their work actually accomplishes the thing in an ultimate sense. The farmer will plant the seed, but who causes the growth? You can go to work and do your job, but the, but the profitability of the company, that's in the Lord's hands. You can do all the right things and still get the wrong outcome. Because God is in charge, right? God brings increase. He makes the seed to grow. So God made the earth to be a home for his people. The earth produces so, so that man might thrive. That's an acknowledgement. We all have to understand that. Fruit, vegetables, grains, sustained by the soil. All of that happens. The rains, the livestock, fish feed off of plants. And they're, they're all there for our uh, nourishment and to enjoy. No good thing has God withheld from the inhabitants of the earth. That's true. So it's a simple, simple statement. God has provided. James says, his letter, 117, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. God above, Father of lights, gives every good thing for his people. But understand, these temporal gifts that we enjoy, they're given to point us to the greatest gift of all, the gift of the Son of God. What we celebrate at Advent, the arrival of the Son of God. 
reflecting on the immensity of God's grace in Christ, the Apostle Paul marveled, marveled at how much God the Father has given. Romans 8, 31 and 32, he says this, If God is for us, who can be against us? And then he goes on to explain what the foundation of that, that goodness is, right? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? God gave his son to save you. And God so loves that he gives his spirit to live in you. Jesus illustrated. He said, look, parents know how to provide for their children. Then he said this, how much more? How much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? God has indeed blessed us. And the proof of that is his simple promise fulfilled, right? His promise fulfilled to show us his ways, to reveal his saving power. So let me ask you, are you grateful for his grace? Do you express that in your prayers? Oh, I hope you do. I hope you don't get through a prayer before the Lord where you're not saying, thank you for calling me your child. Thank you for sending Jesus to die for my sin. Do you express that in prayer? Do you express that when you gather together in song? It's a great opportunity when we sing gospel songs here. Great opportunity to add your voice. Maybe think, oh, I don't sing. Let me exhort you, particularly men. Don't do this. Open your mouth. Declare the praise. Come on. Do you know this one true God who is gracious and merciful and abounding in steadfast love? Maybe you're outside the Christian faith this morning. Maybe you're new church. Maybe you're watching in the live stream. And do you know that God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Do you know that the Son of God gave his life on the cross for your sin? Do you know that he was raised from the grave on the third day? I dare say, you do not understand true gratitude unless you see what Christ has done for you. And if you've seen it, thank him for it. Well, simple exhortation as we think about how to pray. Your commitments to do this or that thing this next year, those are all well and good. But the great power for your life to be changed rests with God alone. So let me encourage you, brothers and sisters, pray that way. Pray for God's blessing. It's in his nature to be gracious to you. So ask confidently, ask boldly. Jesus said, ask 
and it will be given to you. So do it. Do it. Pray that way personally. Let's pray that way as a church and pray for God's will, that his saving power would be known to the nations, that his saving power would be known to our neighbors and this community. Pray boldly. And let's acknowledge the immensity of God's goodness to us. And let's never hesitate to declare it in prayer or in song or in conversations. Let's acknowledge God's goodness. Six and seven of our psalm. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. Let's pray. Father, Thank you. We cannot possibly measure the extent of your goodness to us. The fact that you sent your son to die in our place, the fact that you've given your spirit to indwell us, the fact that because of Christ we have become your treasured possession. All this is of you, Father. And in light of that blessing, Father, we ask that you would continue to be gracious to us and bless us so that the saving work that we know in our own lives, that that gift would just keep on giving and spill out. Father, may your will be done on earth just as it is in heaven. And we ask all of this for the glory of Jesus. Amen.